This week has been a week of suffering. The Jeffords family lost a dear friend to cancer. A childhood friend of Leslie's, a former co-worker of hers at St. Paul's Day School in Conway, a former parishioner of mine. Her children grew up with our children. And now, at the age of 53, she's gone. This suffering brings back a very poignant thing for all of us, that our suffering is not unique. It is universal. I dare say that every person in this church and every person watching at home today is going through some sort of suffering, some sort of grieving, some sort of groaning. COVID-19, the upheavals that have come with COVID-19 has brought suffering to our doorsteps, to everyone's doorsteps. And that's what I want to address to you today. Uh, Paul in Romans 8 is talking about the sufferings of this present age. And I want us to get out our Bibles, if you have it at home, and follow with me through this. We are going to look at mining the gold nuggets in this text this morning. And as we explore Romans 8, we're going to be looking for three questions. What is the Christian understanding of the origins of suffering? Where did it come from? What are the effects of suffering on our lives? And thirdly, what is the good news for those who suffer? So let's walk together through Romans 8. First question, what is the Christian understanding of the origins of suffering? Look with me, if you will, at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, in hope. This should bring our minds back to Genesis. Paul wants us to go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. That's where suffering began. Remember that? God loved his children, Adam and Eve. God would walk among them in the cool of the day, the Bible says. That's the Bible's way of saying that he enjoyed their presence and they enjoyed a profound sense of his loving presence every day of their lives. And then God partnered with them. Remember? Come on over here, Adam. Come on over here. I got, got work to do. I want you to help me to name these animals. God gave them fruitfulness. Go over there, Adam, and till that soil. It is rich and beautiful and fertile. Come on over here, Eve. I have endowed you with the ability to have more children from me. Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply, you guys. Multiply the goodness of my creation. Give me a, a people that love me and want to walk with me. Everything seemed perfect, right? And it was. There was no sin, no death, no cancer, no COVID-19, no burning and looting, no division amongst the races. But then you'll remember, the servant began to beguile Eve into think thinking that there was something more to life than God, some blessing that God was withholding from her. And they went for it, right? And they went for it. They had to have that forbidden fruit. They had to unlock the mysteries, the secrets of that fruit. And in doing so, three things happened. They broke the Father's law. They broke their Father's covenant. They broke their Father's heart. And let me tell you, I feel for God as a father. If you are a parent, I'm sure you know what it's like to have destructive children. In the Jeffords household, we've had our children rip apart kitchen cabinets, destroy desks, break windows, dent a brand new refrigerator, back into things, wreck our car, and guess what? We have some pretty good kids. They didn't intentionally do that, 
But it was like Leslie and I would just throw up our hands and say, you see, you see, this is why we can't have nice things around here. Children tend to break good things. Adam and Eve broke God's good creation. A God-ordained system of fruitfulness and blessing now became consigned to futility and corruption and decay. That's why Paul says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. The entire system was broken. And we need no, look no farther than to turn on the news to see witness of that. The Christian worldview is that this is normal. The violence you see today is normal. This is to be expected in a fallen world. Scientists have a word for it called entropy. Entropy. Scientist James Newman said that entropy is the general trend in the universe toward death and disorder. Scientists see it too. But Paul didn't need science to tell him that this was a disordered world. God told him that. Things are falling apart. Things are subject to decay. Don't believe me? Our bodies give you witness to that very same thing. Think about it. If you're over 30 this morning, entropy has already set in. You will have, increase, have to be increasingly diligent about what you eat and your exercise or the pounds will keep on coming. As we age, we will need creams and injections to try and mask the crow's feet and hide the frown lines. We start to find hair growing in all the wrong places and falling out in the places that it should be. So what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. It is part of the normal life we live in a corrupt, sinful, and broken world. So here's the point, friends. At the end of the day, at the end of this day, if you were able to walk and breathe and love and praise and worship and pray, know that these things are not normal. What's normal is the world falling apart. If you have days of health, of love, of goodness, of God's glory, these are not normal. You need to praise God. These things are called grace. God giving us undeserved supernatural gifts, gifts in the midst of a decaying world. These are God's grace. Because of this worldview that Christians hold, I believe that Christians ought to be the most joy-filled, filled Christians with praise and glory every day. Christians should be the most amazingly thankful people on the planet because we understand the worldview of a fallen world. Number two, what are the effects of suffering in our lives? Suffering causes us to groan. Now that's a powerful Greek word. It's a Greek word that was used in Greek literature to describe the aftermath of a battle. When people are laying dead on the battlefield, breathing their last breaths, crying out in futility and suffering, and they groan. And you hear the groan throughout the battlefield. Well, there's a whole lot of groaning going on here. Verse 22, the whole creation groans. Verse 23, Christians, the saints, groan. Verse 26, even the Holy Spirit is groaning. Why all the groaning? Well, part of it comes, particularly with Christians, as we know that we long for home. We know that this world is not our home. We know that this world is not as God intended it to be. We long for heaven. Somewhere deep inside, we know that things are profoundly broken 
and we want to go home. We want to go to where it's all good again. Need only look around you at the violence. Babies being aborted by the millions for just a sense of birth control in somebody's life. Young women being trafficked for sex. Policemen getting shot and clubbed in our streets. Small businesses being burned and looted. We groan. Christians, are you groaning yet? Paul says that all creation groans under the tremendous weight, under the tremendous weight of suffering. We long for a new day when God will restart this world and give it its former glory. See verse 21. God will set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We're going to exchange groaning for glory as the children of God. God's children will one day be free from bondage, free from sin, free from death, free from decay, free from corruption and suffering. In Revelation, it is described as a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus promised in Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new again. Friends, in the midst of our sufferings, hold on to those words. Jesus is making all things new again. But we need to keep our eyes focused on that future glory that God is preparing for all creation. Here's the key. Here's the key. Remember the futility of groaning soldiers breathing their last on a battlefield? That is not the image Paul uses. Look at what Paul uses, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not a soldier dying, but a mother anticipating something wonderful. A groaning mother going through the trauma of nine months of pregnancy and an extraordinarily painful delivery, but she does it gladly because she anticipates that child with joy. A baby's coming. A new life is emerging. In joyful expectation, she endures the present suffering. That's what Paul is saying. That's why Paul is saying that Christians should have this eager longing as we await that day of redemption. For even our worn out, tired old bodies are going to be renewed. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. No more pain, no more cancer, no more friends dying at 53, no more COVID-19. Glory is coming even to our bodies. And we wait, Paul says, with patience, trusting in God's future for us. Not the battlefield, but a mother giving birth to a brand new creation. But there's only one requirement for us as Christians, and you'll find that in verse 17. And if children, if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Before this grand and glorious kingdom of God is renewed, we will go through a season of suffering. You can guarantee it. It's all around us. But we don't suffer in futility. We suffer with redemption in mind, just as Jesus did, provided we suffer with him. You know, Jesus groaned. He groaned in Mark chapter 7 as he restored the withered man's hand. 
He groaned for the sufferings of this world where people are born with defects. Jesus groaned and wept at the grave of Lazarus, his friend, over the suffering of Mary and Martha. Jesus groaned on the cross as he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not a, a, a stranger to suffering, but he suffered with redemption in mind. Two things there. Because he suffered with redemption in mind, he has now sanctified our sufferings on the cross. Suffering is now redemptive. Jesus knew that on the other side, point number two, of Good Friday would come Easter Sunday as he suffered. He had a mind, an eye towards the end with God. The one thing that he knew is, is that in three short days, he would rise again in glory. Jesus knew as he hung on that cross that he was atoning in his blood for the sins of his people, making many to be righteous. He knew that and saw the glory in that. In three short days, Jesus knew that he would reign victorious over sin, over death, over hell, over Satan. Jesus knew on that cross that he was birthing a brand new glorious day. It was redemptive suffering. And Paul says, if we are children, we will suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. We suffer for others. Finally, what is the good news in this time of suffering? The good news comes by way of the Holy Spirit. I want to drop two on you. How do you know if God is your father or your boss? I'll tell you why. If you go through suffering in your life, and you feel that God owes you for the good works that you've done, and you cry out to God and say, why am I suffering? I deserve my due wages. I have been good. I don't deserve this God. If you do that, he's your boss. A boss gives you wages for your work. If he is your father, though, you know his tenderly father care, even in the midst of suffering. You know that he loves you more profoundly than you'll ever imagine. Even earthly children know that they are loved by their fathers. Even while they're being disciplined by their fathers, they know that they're loved. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does in verse 15 and 16? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. Is he your boss or is he your father? If he's your father, he can take you through any suffering. The Holy Spirit in prayer continues to bear witness that we are children of the Most High God and that he loves us with the same quantity and the same quality of love that he loved Jesus with. Second bit of good news. When we are groaning, sometimes our, our difficulty... Sometimes our struggles, sometimes our sufferings are too deep even for words. We can't even utter them in prayer before God. So here's what the Holy Spirit does, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. That same word, groaning, because of suffering. The Spirit comes alongside us and groans with us. He groans. When words fail us, the Spirit does not. 
He communicates our needs and our sufferings before the throne of the Father directly to the Father's heart. Paul finally commends us, look to the future that God holds. Verses 18 and 19, keep on looking to the end. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, one of the ancient prayers of the church, Maranatha, comes from Revelation 22.20. Jesus says, surely I am coming again soon. And the prayers of the saints was, amen, come Lord Jesus. May that be our prayer as we put our minds toward the glory that is to come. Let us pray. So come, Lord Jesus. Come set all things right again. Come and save your people. Come and give birth to a new messianic age, free from futility, free from corruption. Come and bring your healing and your glory again to your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Come.